me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it. Because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Welcome into DC On Screen, episode 204. This is a show about the DC Universe properties being brought to film and television. I am your host, David C. Robertson, and for the first time ever, my co-host Jason Goss is not here with me today. Uh, Jason wanted to be here, but his job kept him from recording this week. Luckily, we do have a guest host, Mr. Scott Madison, a cat goodly enough to sharpen his claws on our scratching post this week. Scott, how are we? <laughs> uh, doing all right. I I have to admit, you did not let me know beforehand that this was the first time that uh, someone else has uh, substituted for either of you guys. Yeah, this on the show that is. Ama- I'm pretty sure that simply syndicated movie news. I think our first um, either empty seat or substitution was somewhere in our single digits of episodes. Wow. And this, you get 204. Geez. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And Christopher White, once again, is going to hate me for this. <laughs> I, I talked to Chris probably three or four times a week at this point. Uh, we've become good <laughs> friends. And, you know, he he was like, well, you know, I'm there, buddy, if you need me. And I said, well, I do have Scott lined up. And he was like, oh, okay, that's cool. So he was he was okay. He was all right with it. <laughs> On the surface. <laughs> I'm kidding, Chris. You're awesome. You're fantastic, Chris. Um, so, yeah. So you not only do the syndicated news, you do next time. Can you tell us about that real uh, quick? Yep. Uh, well, uh, that would be my my solo independent podcast next time, the Comic Book Television Prediction Podcast, where instead of reviewing the comic book-based television shows that have aired in the previous week, I aim to predict what is going to happen on the upcoming episode of comic book-based television shows. Some people might be confused because none of them are airing right now, but that's okay because at present I am looking ahead to predict... Um, the individual series in a full season format. And when the shows begin premiering uh, September, October, I'll begin the week-to-week predictions for what's coming on next. Um, we've got... Uh, what, what do we have? We have Arrow and um, Supergirl mm-hmm. and Gotham, Lucifer, um, uh, all those series, and I think a couple more that I've missed, um, already covered mm-hmm. uh, with a few bonus episodes that we've done uh, with with you. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, you, you you and Jason appeared on our episode Looking Ahead at Arrow, mm-hmm. and then you came on for a, a bonus episode discussing Batman the Killing Joke and Star Trek Beyond. I think two of my more downloaded episodes that, that I've put out. So, uh, 
you know, appreciations for that. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I didn't know that. I didn't. It's my first time knowing that that was those were received well. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yep they, they they seem to be popular. I'm sure that the uh, that the keyword Star Trek probably helped out with uh, with that one. Um, though I hope you will understand when I say that if I can get a bonus episode for the Human Target, that will probably uh, that will probably win out as far as downloads. And uh, and I think we know why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, th- th- this would have to do with uh, um, a little bit of of uh, Twitter attention that I got over the past week. Oh, why don't you tell us about that quickly? Uh, well, this is, uh, you, you know about it already. Uh, with one of the one of my favorite um, Facebook instant messages that I've received, hashtag cash that check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when it was announced that um, episode five of Arrow season five was going to feature the character, the DC character Christopher Chance, known as the Human Target, uh, that got me really excited. Um, I I did when it originally aired watch that uh, full seven-episode run of The Human Target starring Rick Springfield that you guys mentioned last mm-hmm. week. Um, and I did watch both seasons of um, 2010's Human Target with uh, Mark Valley, which I don't really consider The Human Target because the character of Christopher Chance uses makeup and uh, impersonation skills and improvisation to become another person. Right. On that show with Mark Valley, he just showed up and essentially said, yeah, I'm an associate of this person over here, so I'm I'm going to come in and fix this. He would just pretend that he was someone who knew them. He never looked any different. That's not the human target. Right. But all, all of this pales in comparison to the DC Vertigo run of Human Target, which took a decades-old character, decades-old um, uh, detective and uh, impersonator character, and made it one of the most mind-bending uh, identity crisis stories that I've ever read. <clears throat> um, I won't go into details about the story because everyone should go and read it, but it started with a four-issue miniseries um, written by Peter Milligan, which many comic fans might know from uh, Hellblazer, Justice League, Dark, X-Force, Ecstatics, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that's my human target. That's that's my preferred iteration of the character. Sure. So when that announcement was made about him coming to Arrow, I did send out a tweet saying, now that they've announced human target coming to Arrow, everyone should go read the Peter Milligan Vertigo run of the comic. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I got one like on that tweet. Now, granted, I don't have a whole lot of followers. Mm-hmm. I have, I think, less than less than 30 followers so far on my next time Twitter. Uh, but one person clicked like for that tweet. It was Peter Milligan. <laughs> that's that's awesome, man. <laughs> that that kind of knocked me over, and I I tweeted to that effect, saying at uh, uh, one Peter Milligan liked my tweet about him. My day is made. If he showed up on my podcast, my decade would be made. I got one reply to that tweet. Guess who it was? Man. Excellent. Well done. Good guess. Good guess. It was Peter Milligan who replied, quote, that could be arranged. Have Have you had any any more talks with him? Is, is this going to happen? I have not had more communication with him yet. Um, I wanted to give it a minute. I didn't want to seem too eager. You know, you got to play hard to get. Um, also, I've had some... Um, uh, scheduling and family commitments that have not really allowed me to you know jump out there and start negotiations. I didn't want to send a message and then be unavailable for four days. Yeah. So I did. I had to hold off, but I I fully expect to be trying to get in touch with him sometime within the next week. Shit. Um, Bonus number he... three with Peter Milligan coming soon, kids. Oh my lord, you're gonna right. have an honest to god celebrity <laughs> on your show, man. 
I'm 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 hoping so, and hopefully it'll work better than last time I had a celebrity. My very first podcast, I had a um a stand-up comedian and former contestant on uh um Last Comic Standing, Ooh. who I was able to uh, persuade to come on my show with me and my then co-host. It was okay, mm. but I felt rather out of my depth back then. I think I might have been too green when it comes to podcasting to actually have a guest, but uh, uh th- this time I'm ready. All right. And, you know, it was a funny thing when you when you were talking about Peter Milligan. I was like, ah, that's awesome. And then quite by accident, I stumbled upon the realization that the first Batman story I ever got as a kid was a Peter Milligan, like in comic book form, was a Peter Milligan run, <laughs> The Idiot Root, mm-hmm. which, has, which unfairly gets a lot of shit from people like, oh, The Idiot sucked. I'm like, no, The Idiot was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that was some trippy acid shit, man. Yeah, it, the the odd way that things line up in that way. Yeah, it it, it always takes you by surprise. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so this episode is, as all of them are, sponsored by Loot Crate. Um, with Loot Crate, you get collectibles, apparel, and more from your favorite pop culture franchises delivered right to your door every single month. You know what Loot Crate is. We're talking a new t-shirt. I know what Loot Crate is. Yeah. (laughs) I know you know. (laughs) (laughs) There's a new t-shirt in every crate, figures, comics, stuff for your kitchen, a wide range of exclusive items you can't get anywhere else from fan favorite franchises like, it's hard to say, fan favorite franchises like Harry Potter, Marvel Comics, or DC Comics. Fallout 4, Star Wars, and so much more. You can get all of this for less than $20 a month. Uh, guys, go to lootcrate.com forward slash giant size team up. Enter the code giant size team up. And uh, we're going to save you like three bucks on every new subscription. Um, <clears throat> so before we jump into the news, I swear this is a, this is the last, the last thing. Um, <laughs> we received a review on our iTunes page. We are running a... Uh, a contest um and we'll talk about that at the end end of the show um but we received a review on our itunes page it was a one-star review from someone calling themselves fatty acid 23 i I do enjoy that name though i have to say i do like that name um (laughs) they said i've been a listener for a good while now uh if these guys are going to mock or jab on somebody's religion i'm done i'll stick to my other dc podcasts and I read that review, and I felt really terrible. Um, not because it was a negative review. We've gotten those before. Um, I'm used to that. <laughs> but, if, I mean, if someone doesn't like you because of an opinion uh, about a you know, stupid television show or a movie, or if they're just picking you apart, that that's fine. We don't want to lose that listener. But I feel like that can't be avoided because you can't please everybody. Um but what this was, unfortunately, was me alienating someone. Uh, and what's worse, I'm a person of faith myself. So I know what it's like to be attacked for that. Um, I'm not of the faith that I made a crack at, but uh, one of vaguely similar credence. Um, and as much as I would like to say that this was a harmless, uh, playful, interdenominational j- uh, swipe or jab, it wasn't that. Um, it was just an unfunny joke that ignorantly prodded at a faith and misrepresented the tenets of that faith. Um, I even went back and looked into it. The joke doesn't make sense. I won't repeat the joke. It, um, 
I'm not going to edit it out of last week's show, though. It's there, so if you guys want to go check that out, uh, I guess that's kind of a plug. It's not meant that way, but um, it's arguably not worth the extra time I've spent on it here, but while the joke wasn't, I think, Fatty Acid 23 and any other listener I might have offended was worth it, or is worth it, um, I, I don't really care about the download numbers as far as this is concerned. It's It's nice to have... But Jason and I don't ever want to alienate anyone for their religious beliefs. Um, I kind of feel like I let the fans down. I, I let Jason down because I know he's not down with that shit. Uh, I should have edited that out. Um, I mean, I can't say it'll never happen again. I'm human. I'm an idiot. But um, I am really sorry to anyone who was offended. Uh, so we, we just want to do a show that, uh, you know, informs and, and entertains in regards to DCU stuff. And I screwed that up for some people and that sucks. So I'm sorry. Well, if it, if it helps, if it makes you feel any better, um, I missed the joke entirely. So <laughs> yeah, um, a few people did because it wasn't funny. It was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it was a one line deal. And then we moved right on without even a second thought until I got that review. And I had to go back and listen to the other show to even figure out what was going on. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, shit, that was what I said. Mm -hmm. I'm an idiot. So, I'm sorry, guys. Um, so, it looks like DC Entertainment is going to be holding a, some kind of big event. It's going to be an eight-hour DC All Access event uh, on its YouTube channel uh, to bring fans all of the latest and greatest DC news they're saying. I, um, <laughs> they recently got their 1 millionth subscriber. Don't know what all, I don't know what they're going to bring out. It's going to be eight yeah, hours long though. That, that's incredible. When I first read that story, I, at first I thought, who's got time for that? Second, I thought I would, if it were at all possible, <laughs> I would make time to sit down and watch something like that. Right. Um, the, the third thought that I had though was this is a really smart and clever way of going about it. I mean, mm -hmm. considering the fact that, uh, excuse me, the only real difference between this um, eight-hour live YouTube event that they're going to do and um, a panel at Comic-Con is the amount of time you have to wait in a line for it. Everything else is essentially the same. It's going to be people sitting in front of a camera and announcing everything that's going to be coming over the mm -hmm. next who knows how many months. Um and then every uh, professional and amateur news outlet on the internet is going to write stories about it. And stories are all going to say the same thing. They're going to have the same quotes, and you're going to get the same information. So whether you watch it from a, a live mm -hmm. feed or read the, the write-ups about it afterward, you're going to get the same information. And this way, you don't have to drop plane fare, hotel uh, accommodation cost, uh, and then wait in long lines okay. to sit with a couple hundred other people and see the same thing. This is, I think, mm -hmm. how they should start releasing their news instead of going to Comic-Con and asking people very politely, please don't um, record this and then uh, upload a bootleg to the internet. Let's just make it official right here. Right. Everyone just sit down, watch it. This is the actual feed with good cameras and good sound, and you can still see exactly what you're going to see at a convention. I think this is what they should be doing. Yeah. I think we're moving closer mm -hmm. to that every day, though. So, I mean, I, uh, it's what it looks like it's going to be in the next few years and, start, and you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. already here, kind of. So, uh, September 2nd at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time is when this is going to be happening. So, I guess uh, it's going it's to be a Friday, so I guess uh, I'm <laughs> <Right>. calling sick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I didn't put this in your rundown. But the monolith is becoming a film. The 
Remind me. I don't know why this is not coming to my head. Help me out. Uh, the monolith, um, which was basically like a golem story. Like, this girl moves into her grandmother's house, her uh, dead grandmother's house, and she, like, reads her grandmother's diary and, to, uh, and finds out about this golem creature that her, her grandmother used. Um, so, And she starts calling upon it, and it's just this giant gray creature. It was uh, done by... Um, who was it <laughs> i've got it somewhere here actually and i knew it um um oh, uh, uh, yep. jay palmiotti yep. just just that was it justin and gray and jimmy justin palmiotti gray. yep i i'm looking at it and and realize i recognize it but i haven't read it i i knew it was it, it right. was somewhere in the back i i know i'd seen it before mm-hmm mm-hmm and you know um it, i'm not sure it started out as an actual dc universe property but there's a whole storyline where the monolith is like helping Nightwing out in Blood and Bloodhaven, <laughs> so it's it's there, guys. It's in there, but I don't think this is going to be a DCEU movie. This it looks like Lionsgate is is producing this, which is a weird choice, and um, it's kind of just an odd thing. And I don't know what this is going to become. Uh, well, I we can hope that it will become a um, a clever and innovative. Um, uh, standalone film based on a comic book property and not uh, mm-hmm. not a movie that is intended from the start to be a trilogy uh, like everything else is these days. Um, but at the same mm-hmm. time, we, we're at risk of it being another uh, forgettable comic book-based film that will fit the same formula and pattern of so many others and then drift into forgettable obscurity uh, shortly thereafter. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, they they have uh, they have tapped Dave Wilson of uh, the creative director of Blur Studios to direct the film. Um, it's being written by Barnett Brettler. Yeah. I don't know that cat. So yeah, these are unfamiliar names yeah. to me. But you know, some sometimes it takes the people that you've never heard of <clears throat> to cook up something that is really going to grab everyone's attention. If they can, if they can well, find Blur Studio, they did Deadpool. It's run I, by. I Tim already Miller. feel better. You see, you you've. You, you've lifted you've lifted me up <laughs> on, on your Deadpool on your Deadpool wings. Of glory. <laughs> That's what we'll call it, <laughs> Deadpool wings of glory. So yeah, one one of the one of the great um, independent comic book film success stories that I've that I've ever heard of. Um, it used to be the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now mm-hmm. it's Deadpool. Sort of Deadpool still Marvel though. I mean, true. I, the, yeah, the the source material is from one of the bigger studios, but the uh, but the film itself mm-hmm. um, proves that you don't need um, the, the full force of Marvel Studios and thus Disney Studios to make a successful film. You can come out of nowhere with a budget that most people would scoff at when it comes to making a movie and say, you know what, we'll just go ahead and take a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So uh, speaking of which. Uh, a billion dollars? I'll take it. Yeah, I wish. Uh, I had it to give, which I wouldn't give it. Um, I just hoard it. Um, <laughs> no, that's not true. I would I would give it to several comic book companies um, <laughs> over a long period of time. So uh, Suicide Squad has apparently lost the weekend to Don't Breathe. Uh, Don't Breathe did $10 million on Friday from like 3,501 theaters. Um they got a $22 million weekend, so yeah, Suicide Squad is three and done, looks like, for the uh, for the top spot. Unless it comes back next week, but it looks like Don't Breathe is going to have legs. Yeah, I, I haven't heard all that much about uh, Don't Breathe, but uh, 
that I'm, I find myself saying that more and more of late. I haven't heard of that. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just not as plugged in as I used to be. You're getting but, old, man. Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, as, as my wife delights in pointing out uh, by mentioning the increasing amount of gray on my face and head. Um, <laughs> she insists She insists that she likes it, but I don't know. Um, hey, man. You know, I'd rather have gray than what I've got going on. I've got thinning. Just, I'm like, I'm like, come on, no, just go gray, just go, don't, don't go away. Kind of right. We have to, we have to know that uh, you know, Suicide Squad was not going to last forever in the top spot. Um, I think the fact that it got three weeks um, yeah. as a number one uh, was more than a lot of people expected it would get. So, mm-hmm. and David Ayer did just least... come out and say it passed 600 million at the global box office. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this, this thing isn't a failure. Yeah, critically, it's, it's, but not. <laughs> it, it's definitely performing better than a lot of people expected it would. Um, oddly enough, performing better than a lot of people say that it's performing. Not that they're necessarily giving numbers, but people say, oh, Suicide Squad, it was a flop. It didn't succeed. And I look at these numbers saying, it seems to be doing pretty good to me. Yeah, and Unless, last I heard, $600 million was the threshold where Warner Brothers would say it was a success. That's what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. So, guess what? It's a success. Yeah, the, the the trouble is to so many critics out there the um, um, the the line of demarcation between flop and uh, success and there's no in between there's no moderate success it's just either your um, your an outstanding uh, runaway success or your flop it's gonna be one or the other and mm-hmm. that line that line is one billion dollars which is ridiculous that is absolutely ridiculous right but the, the 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 trouble is because it happened with Avengers mm-hmm. that becomes the that becomes the new standard. If you don't do as well as the greatest comic book movie that was ever made, yeah. then 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 you're nothing. And it's like the dude guys, the one billion dollar mark has been hit with four of like the thirteen Marvel movies. Give it a rest. Like <laughs> there uh, actually, if you look at how much money Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and Suicide Squad made, I think it's like. I don't know. It's, it's, I, I can't remember the number. It's, I know it's outpaced the first three Marvel movies for sure. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere around the $2 billion mark. Right. And a lot so. of people um, online seem to also be skipping over the fact that Suicide Squad is pulling in the numbers that it is without being released in China. Mm-hmm. But also, by the way, just now being released in Japan. All right, so Suicide Squad, uh, Buddha Jones has released the end credits for the movie and the video effects highlight reel on Vimeo. I'll put up a link to those, but they have some fun little Easter eggs in there. Um, it's kind of fun to see the like different um, objects, like playing cards and mallets and syringes <laughs> flying around <laughs> during the... Uh, during the uh, end credit sequence, it's, it's interesting to watch, uh, and it's your chance to go check that out before the uh, DVD and Blu-ray comes out. So, mm, this, uh, this is the uh, the kaleidoscope type effect from uh-huh. from the closing credits. Yeah, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. and a uh, highlight reel for the video effects. So, you know, stuff that we saw during the trailers, like the uh, the on-screen text. Yeah, um, and a whole bunch that, of that that's stuff. A- 
that's the type of special feature that I will go and, and seek out and watch online because um, at one of my favorite parts about Suicide Squad was the was the the visual style that they gave it um, with the with the VFX especially um, mm-hmm. I, those those ending credits with the kaleidoscope really enjoyed that I I had I had a lot of fun just just taking in everything that they were throwing on the screen words I don't care about the words forget the words I can get that on IMDb I can't get the the mallets and the syringes going around in circles. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see those skulls, y'all. Um, <laughs> so Rolling Stone Brazil posted a picture, and it's been trending this week. Uh, they post, uh, posted an uncropped picture of Joker and Harley. Um, it's from the helicopter scene uh, in the movie. It was a, it was kind of more of a sweet scene. Um, people are freaking out because this picture suggests that there was abuse uh, in the Joker-Harley relationship, and to that I say no shit. <laughs> right and the picture he's like, grabbing her arm and he's scolding her he's got his finger in her face mm-hmm. uh dude that's joker that's joker and harley I, if how do you not know this like that that that's what it should have been and i was well i was surprised that it was not um that it was not more uh prominent and prevalent in the film well uh, apparently did it didn't they... it didn't it didn't rate well with the test audiences Mm. Because uh, no, matter you, are, <laughs> no matter how you, no matter how you depict it, familiar. no matter how you depict it, watching physical abuse in a movie saps the fun out of everything. <laughs> and after Batman v Superman, yeah, I think Warner Brothers freaked out and we we're like, well, we can't have this. <laughs> yeah, it's just too I, I dark. Can understand. I can understand that being the reactions. Oh, with the way people have been reacting to Batman v Superman, we should make sure that they like as much as possible in this mm-hmm. new movie. Now, so I, that I can understand, but at the same time, uh, being someone who is um, rather familiar with the Joker-Harley relationship from the animated series and the comics, mm-hmm. um, I did find it to be very softened in, in the film. Uh, it it didn't feel seen, softened to me. It felt like they just didn't touch on it, and that was okay. But, I mean... We see, we, you kind of get an idea of it, the way he throws her down on the on the bed and tells her he's just going to hurt her real, real bad. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, he He's threatening enough verbally to suggest, to me at least, the uh, the physical abuse. But, you know, um, I could have dealt with more of it. Not because I really want to see it, but just because it's the, those are the characters. And I think there's an overwhelming amount of people... Of girls who romanticize the Joker Harley relationship in a way that I don't think is really healthy. Yeah, that that's true. And I, when I hear things like that, I always cross my fingers and hope that they they're doing that because they just haven't seen all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they'll see they'll see uh, pin up images or or covers. Um, like for example, that classic Alex Ross cover um, mm-hmm. of Joker in the tuxedo and Harley in the in the jester's outfit. Um, and they'll think, oh, look at that, how sweet. They're made for each other. But they don't see um, the, like, say the episode of the animated series where he just shoves her off the table. Because, right. you know, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> He's working on a Batman, <laughs> on a plan to take down Batman. Is right, that Joker does not have time for your shit, Harley. Yeah. Boom, off the table. Come That's on, not Mr. Nice. J. Don't you want to <laughs> rev up your Harley? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I laugh to cover up my discomfort at hearing you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that they've turned Mad Love into a giant size um, coloring, blo- coloring book for adults? No. 
they have and it's like pristine black and white wonderful uh wonderful artwork but they have all of those scenes with her in the uh in the nighty like it's i as if i was a kid hell as an adult i would be uh, feel awkward trying to color that right i probably would as well (laughs) now having said that i may have to go and find that coloring book it's not creepy people back off oh yeah they've got one of hush too so it's like they've got like badass Mm. jim lee artwork (laughs) i want both of them um (laughs) As a kid who was always going to the store and picking up crappy looking coloring books and going like, "Oh, these look awful." Oh, Why yeah, can't they yeah, just take the, the inks from coloring books of yeah of like yeah it, it it looks like like middle school grade art. Not to say that all middle schoolers are bad artists. I know yeah. I was when I was in middle school, but not everyone is. Um, but the the standard for art in a lot of uh, current comic books or coloring books is not that great. Mm-hmm. I've often seen coloring books and thought, "How can a person submit?" for to these publishers for coloring i can put together some sketches and and make a a word jumble and a maze and Mm -hmm. use the same pose for venom in like eight pages throughout this comic throughout this coloring book i could do that Mm -hmm. but i've never figured out how how one does that hey listeners if anyone knows how to submit for a coloring book let us know Honestly, I think what they do a lot of times, like it's, like you'll be flipping through, and it's like you see an Art Adams or you see a Jim Lee that you know is a Jim Lee drawing, but mm-hmm. they've clearly just had somebody trace over it so they don't have to pay Jim Lee. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah. Anyway, that's why I want good new coloring books because new adult coloring books are awesome. Yeah. And was what I always wanted when I was a kid. So anyway, yeah. Uh. So the Suicide Squad cast are, have, have been talking about the deleted scenes, their favorite deleted scenes. Uh, Will Smith and Jay Hernandez joked about a love scene between Deadshot and Rick Flag. Uh, Margot Robbie had apparently an entire dance routine that was almost entirely cut. Um, the scene where she's in the club dancing, apparently that's, that's a whole routine that she had to learn and was dismayed to find the cut. Jai Courtney says there's a bit where he says something to Croc, and Croc swats them into a huge stack of plastic containers. And uh, Karen Fukuhara said that that was intense, and that's gone. Uh, Jared Leto said he thinks they could fill an entire DVD uh, with the deleted scenes. He says there are a lot of surprises, and with that, a lot of mistakes. So I think a lot of fun accidents, too. Uh, Jared Jared seems to be saying a lot of stuff, though. <laughs> yeah, I think he. it seems like he's kind of pulling back on some of the stuff he was saying before i maybe they came out and said hey man so could you shut the hell up about like being negative and stuff maybe i don't know maybe maybe not i i i have a suspicion it would not surprise me if if warner brothers execs had gone to him after you know all the grumbling and the belly aching he had been doing about how much joker stuff was cut Mm -hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if some of them went to jared leto and said you know we could recast you anytime. Mm-hmm. And the comic books are three jokers. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we, we've had the, the facial scars joker with Heath Ledger, and now we have a, a more, like, a, a dark twist on the animated series joker with Jared Leto. That's that's mm-hmm. my take on it. We still have not had it takes off his own face and tapes it and, and right. staples it back on joker. We haven't gotten him yet. Mm-hmm. They could cast someone else for that. I wouldn't mind seeing a Doug Lyman Joker. No, I'm sorry, Doug Jones. Doug Lyman is the director. Doug Jones is the actor. I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind seeing seeing how what he could do with it. I, I Jason and I have always kind of stayed away from fan casting on this show, even though I've always wanted to do it. Um, I think Jason <laughs> always thinks like, ah, who cares what who cares what we think about fan casting? 
And he might be right. I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it. Alan Tudyk as the Joker. <laughs> that could work. That could definitely work. Uh, you know, and that that could be a brilliant tie-in with Powerless as well. <laughs> Ooh. Just, just let the first <laughs> season of Powerless end with the big reveal that he's been the Joker all along. <laughs> that would be kind of awesome. But uh yeah, uh, if you have you you have you seen Dollhouse, the Joss Whedon series? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so you've seen you've seen Alan Tudyk as Alpha. Man. Oh mm-hmm. my lord. Like he and Whiskey, Joker and Harley all over. Um <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought of it until you said it, but now that you said it, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mhm. Also, if you look at uh Alan Tudyk in uh, Death at a Funeral or whatever it was, um he he plays like sort of a British he plays a British character, and he gets stoned and uh, well he gets full of acid I think um, he takes acid accidentally somehow and winds up on a roof naked and laughing hysterically <laughs> like just being completely out of his mind and all I heard was Mark Hamill's Joker the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito said that he wanted to be in the uh, Suicide Squad movie. Uh, he did play Black Spider in Batman Assault on Arkham. Uh, so, Warner Brothers, how how are you not going to have Gus Fring right? on Suicide Squad? <laughs> Rectify this for Suicide Squad 2. He says he wants I, to come back. I think that would have been, even if you just get him for, you know, for a minute, you take out Slipknot and you replace it with Black Spider. Anyone who saw Mm -hmm. the Assault on Arkham animated movie will think, oh, Black Spider, well, he's going to be in it for quite a bit. And it's Giancarlo Esposito. They're not going to get rid of him. They're going to have him through the whole movie. So then when his head goes pop, oh, sorry, spoilers, um, then (laughs) you're not, (laughs) you're going to be taken off guard. Whoa, Gus Fring just went kaboom. Yeah. You wouldn't see it coming. Except Black you... Spider was really kind of cool, so I'd kind of rather them let him stick around for a minute. True, as if if nothing else, at the at the very least, they could have they could have gone the the surprise route instead of the Slipknot route, which is oh, a villain we've never heard of and mm. a guy who doesn't show up in hardly any of the trailer content. Hmm, I wonder. I mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> see. I think they should push in that little redirect a little more next time, but you know, eh. yeah. Uh... Gal Gadot has released a picture of Wonder Woman smiling in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice uh, behind the scenes uh, behind the scenes image. I wouldn't really usually mention it, but she's pretty. Um, <laughs> it's a good picture. Um, and also might be using it for the uh, cover art for this episode. Uh, Justice League Dark apparently in full force here no official word from warner brothers but doug lyman is directing uh this is the cat that did edge of tomorrow he's gonna be doing edge of tomorrow too uh jumper um i didn't care for jumper i don't care for the born movies which he's a producer on um i don't think i saw mr and mrs smith i've seen i didn't see go i've seen most swingers is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. um uh, to, to go back to mr and mrs smith i've seen most of it not all mm-hmm. of it um you know, moving past the um, you know Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, um, uh, I'm pretty sure that's the movie where they met and started their relationship. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Moving past all that, mm-hmm. um, it's it, it's it's a well put together action film. Though at the same time, I think I would have been more entertained if they had mm-hmm. decided to make it a sequel to True Lies. 
if you if you cast Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis and call it True Lies 2 and you find a way to manipulate the story to make it believable that the two of them would be fighting each other, then that could have been mm-hmm. I, I would have gone to see it. I did not go see Mr. and Mrs. Smith in the theater. I would have gone to see True Lies 2 if, if that's what it had been. Yeah. Which is why we can't get away from sequels. Yeah. The studios know that we can't we can't break away from that, our brand recognition. We won't see anything original. Um, a great example of this, Edge of Tomorrow, which was directed by Doug Liman. Mm-hmm. Fantastic movie. I don't like Tom Cruise. I liked this movie. Yeah. This was a good movie. And it was marketed terribly. No one went to see it. No one cared because it didn't have a recognizable uh, name attached to it. Mm-hmm. As far as... Uh, it doesn't matter that Tom Cruise was in it. People were just like, okay. Yeah, if <laughs> if they had done what they ended up doing after the fact, which is they've essentially replaced the title with their tagline. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they had done that, yep. if they had done that from the start, if they had marketed the film as "Live, Die, Repeat," mm-hmm. I 100% believe they would have gotten a, a much better response at the box office. They may have. Um, of course, I kind of wonder what would have happened if they'd named it the original name from the book. Uh, all you need is kill, <laughs> which is kind of a terrible name, but I kind of really love it in a way, in a weird way. <laughs> um, I think, so Justice League Dark. <laughs> yeah, sorry, what? I, I think that would have gotten um, uh, more business as well. All you need is kill. <laughs> People would go just because. Well, that sounds like a badass movie. I'm gonna go see it. <laughs> right. Um, Michael Giglio, known for his short Quick Stop, uh, Jolene, and No Sleep Till Madison, is going to be writing uh, Justice League Dark. So, a relative newbie, but they're backed with Scott Rudin uh, as producer. It, you know, No Country for Old Men, and a Truman Show, Grand, Buda, Grand Budapest Hotel, Social Network. Uh, so, a uh, this is a producer who uh, who is... Who has tried? Yeah, he he's made his it's bones a heavy for hitter. sure, and uh, on movies that I would trust. Now they haven't said what the lineup for Justice League Dark is going to be. I would assume it would be Constantine, uh, Satana, uh, Swamp Thing. You know your standard lineup, Dead Man. But um, they they Warner Brothers doesn't have a an actual uh, comment on this at this time, so I guess it's still kind of technically rumor. Uh, Ron Perlman says he's not playing Swamp Thing, as far as he knows. Guillermo del Toro is not in in involved with this anymore, so. which is a shame. That would have been that would have been a big it draw. It is. I yeah, it would have been. I I like Guillermo del Toro a lot, so I would have liked to have seen his version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, to, to come in, but here I didn't and, like the Hellboy this episode. So <laughs> to come in here and start this episode, I had to walk away from the the final fight scene of Hellboy two in the living room. <laughs> See, I, I don't like the Hellboy movies. I don't know why. Why it, they were visually interesting, but I never. I, maybe I just never connected to the to the characters. I, I don't know. Well, I had an easy time connecting because you know I'm I'm a pyrokinetic who lives underwater. So yeah, well you know there's that. <laughs> Over to the Flash movie. <laughs> uh, again, rumor, but uh, Umberto Gonzalez, El Mayambi, over at the, uh, well, he used to be at Heroic Hollywood. I guess now he's of the rap, um, is saying that it looks like in Rick Famuyiwa's The Flash, they will not only have one villain, they'll have the rogues, specifically the rogues. I'm assuming that no rogues were actually named in this. There are lots of different rogues. You know, Mr. Mirror Master, the top, uh, uh, Captain Cold. Captain Boomerang. We've already met Captain Boomerang. Mm-hmm. Captain Cold. Um, 
One of my favorite bits from Justice League is uh, the trickster, as voiced by Mark Hamill, uh, grumbling at a bar (laughs) that uh, they would have taken him seriously if he was a captain. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that they will put. I'm hoping they put a scene like that in in the Flash movie, where mm-hmm. at just one point, instead of um, you know punching the villains at super speed, there's gonna be one guy he just sits down at the bar with and has a discussion. Say you're off your meds, and you know that's mm-hmm. bad. How about this? If you promise me that you'll that you'll go back on your meds and tell me this information that I need, I will come and visit and we'll we'll play cards or something. And he's like, okay, sounds good. Mm-hmm. You got me again, Flash. <laughs> That was my, yeah, that is one of my favorite scenes of anything ever, is just finish mm-hmm. your drink and go home. And he just raises his, his mug. Got me again, Flash. Glug, glug, glug. <laughs> and, and the fact that in that episode of the animated series, they designed the trickster to look very much like Mark Hamill's depiction in the 90s live-action Flash TV series. That was amazing. Oh, yeah, they just they just drew him to look like Mark Hamill. <laughs> On to television. I, we're already talking about television anyway, so <laughs> Justice League. Um, Gotham, there's a ton of TV news here. Uh, Gotham is going to be on Netflix Season 2, September 19th, um, which is the day that it premieres, uh, Season 3 premieres on television. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really help us out very much, but apparently that's going to change soon. Uh, David Mazuz has been talking about his role as Bruce Wayne. Um, he's going to be pushing, they're going to be pushing way more into the Playboy persona. He says, I don't want to give away too much, but basically what's going to happen is, well, we know Bruce Wayne in the comic books has this Richie Rich smoke and mirrors persona, which is used to cover up the Batman persona. So if anybody ever, uh, in a million years suspects him, they would say, oh, wait, no, he's not that drunken Playboy. Um, but was that ever really him? Was that the real him? Did we ever? Did that ever actually happen? Was it ever a reality? And so, what we're gonna do in Gotham is we're gonna play with that Playboy persona, Party Boy persona, and it's not going to be used to cover up secret affairs that are going on, secret investigations, or secret fighting with evil. It's going to be a reality. We haven't shot much of it yet, but it'll be coming towards the middle of the season. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very interested to see how that plays out. I'm assuming it plays out with him becoming Batman at some point. There's a little prediction for you for your show, Scott. Um, <laughs> ne- next time on Gotham, Batman. <clears throat> I wish. Um, he's also talking about playing as doppelganger. Uh, the doppelganger was spoilers we saw at the end of uh, season two. Mm-hmm. He says, in terms of fun, definitely the doppelganger has been more fun to play. I don't want to give away too much. But this character is nothing like Bruce Wayne. The only similarity that they have is that they look shockingly like David Mazuz. Um, everything else about them, they think differently, they talk differently, they walk differently, they communicate differently. He's pretty weird, the other guy. Uh, it was hard at first figuring out what to do because I didn't want to overdo it, but I didn't. But I wanted to have a strong distinction between Bruce and this other character. It was a battle figuring out uh, how exactly to play this character, but it's been so much fun. Um, he also says that he, they do have scenes together. He says, oh yeah, and that was weird. I played both roles against myself more than once, and it was really weird. You'll see. Um, our next piece of news from Gotham is kind of controversial. It kind of, it pissed me off when I read it. Um, Bruno Heller, the showrunner on Gotham says, quote, I don't think superheroes work very well on television. And I just about stopped reading the article right there. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, probably because of the costume thing. Uh, he says that TV is about real people and faces and not so much about magic and the supernatural things. Ooh, a little dig at, at Arrow Season 4 right there. <laughs> <clears throat> 
Yeah. Um, he says that's why he chose James Gordon as the focus character of the show. Uh, he says the tricky thing about Gotham is that it has to be both a crime procedural and a mythic epic grand comic book saga. It's a tricky combination because you have to keep it real and unreal at the same time. Every season is moving toward the world in which Batman has to emerge to save the day. So every season is doubling down on the chaos and anarchy that is overtaking Gotham. So things keep getting worse. Um, as for Gordon, he says Gordon becomes a bounty hunter looking for those monsters that escaped, um, was fun to write as the, uh, morale and sort of psychological collapse of, uh, of, of Gordon. <clears throat> he said, as far as who he writes the show for, the comic book constituency has become so large and visible that the whole Comic-Con thing, uh, with the whole Comic-Con thing that is very easy to assume that the audience is purely comic book enthusiasts, but I operate the show on the basis that it is a mistake to just go there. Uh, so he tries to write for both the comic book fans and the broader audiences. Um, he says, what we're trying to do is always give little Easter eggs, little gifts, every episode of the real uh, Cognoscenti, but you don't need to know more than the basic Batman myth. Um, his statements, like, all oh, this fine, except for his statements, which is, I guess, still fine, but uh, superheroes don't work very well on television. I disagree. Um, so do I. <laughs> over the costume thing, over the supernatural thing, because there's never been a supernatural show that was a hit, <coughs> Buffy. Angel supernatural, supernatural right? <laughs> um, there are plenty of shows that uh, I mean, Sleepy Hollow was a hit. It didn't stay a hit because the show sucked. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I didn't watch it. But uh, you know, I'm not saying that I that I wouldn't. It, I th this this article, this quote sounds like someone who mm -hmm. he doesn't want to say I don't like comic books and I'd really prefer to not be doing the show because he wants to, you know, continue having his job. But right. if you get him in an unguarded moment, he'd be <laughs> like, I'm stuck doing this comic book crap. Oh, this is lame. Why can't I just do a regular show? Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, though, that he says this stuff when, you know, he's bringing in all these monsters who have costumes. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you even, why are you pushing it further into that Schumacher-esque territory if you have an issue with that? Yeah, I, what was one of the, the more popular moments of uh, of season two? Well, that would be when Azrael showed up in full costume. Yep. People loved that moment. And it not just mm -hmm. the, the diehard comic book people, but people who came to the show because they were interested to see what was going to happen with it. And then Azrael shows up in costume, and, and it, it was fantastic. It looked amazing. It was. One of the best I, moments yeah. of the season. And for the the guy who, who runs the show that had that wonderful moment to say, uh, I don't know about costumes. It, it gets in the way. It's a, you are not paying attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No one likes supernatural shit in their TV shows, dude. Because Game of Thrones isn't a thing. <laughs> I don't, I, I've never heard someone so out of touch. I don't... Well, yeah, I have Tim Burton, but yeah. Um, yeah. damn. Anyway, I'm gonna move on from that because I can talk for, about that for a while. Um, see, Nyan Gonzalez Norvind, I guess that's how you say her name. Uh, she's been cast as Mad Hat, the Mad Hatter's uh, sister, Alice, set to debut in the third episode of season three. Uh, Alice was born with a powerful ability that she cannot control, an ability her brother believes is a gift, but that she has always seen as a curse. As such, she has spent much of her life alone, running from her brother, who will stop at nothing to be reunited uh, in hopes of unleashing her gift on the world. This is, again, 
a strange choice, especially for someone who just said that supernatural shit was something he didn't want in his show. Mm-hmm. But um, I've never heard this. There's no, as far as I know, there's not uh, a version of this uh, this character in the comics or anywhere else. Um, sounds a little uh, Black Canary from Birds of Prey to me. Yeah. Uh, the 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 WB show from the '90s kids, not not the comic book. Uh. Uh. <laughs> That Birds of Prey TV show, uh, that was... Oof. I have forced myself through some some bad television shows in my time, and that was... Mm-hmm. That goes near the top of the list. That was really difficult. Mm, I just bought it on DVD for like $10. Because <laughs> I'm sick and I can't help myself. It's it's horrible. Don't watch it, people. And I'll, also, I want to confirm that the Watchtower set they used on that show was later reused in like season 10 of Smallville, and then again later reused on Arrow. <laughs> wait wait anyway. wait a minute um but black canaries um uh watchtower set from arrow was the same set as uh, uh no, black canaries clock tower set um mm-hmm. on arrow was the same one that they used for the watchtower in smallville i think it was that's incredible i love that <laughs> i don't know that it's true i think it is like when i was re-watching smallville it was after i'd seen birds of prey again but it's still all been way too many years ago. And like mm-hmm. when I was watching Smallville, I was like, oh my god, this was... Yeah, Birds of Prey would have just been cancelled, and now suddenly Chloe is... Okay, look at that watchtower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that clock tower <laughs> right there. Um, and then I think it was the same. But, I, you know, they... I mean, hey, you know, they reused Lex's mansion. Why not? Exactly. In Arrow. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. If anyone knows for sure, let me know. But I, I, I haven't done the research on that fully. I'm just going by memory, and uh, it's always there's always so much news and so much stuff to prepare for this show. I just don't ever think about actually just looking into it. Yeah, uh, when I have the free time. Who has time for research? We're so, we're, we're busy curating. Yeah, so um, <laughs> that doesn't sound good when you say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so fans claim that they heard Jerome's laugh at the end of season two when the monsters are coming out. That has been confirmed. We did hear his laughs. Uh, Ken Woodruff, executive producer of Gotham, said the laugh was really to keep the Joker alive, to keep Jerome and the threat of the Joker alive. We wanted to make sure fans don't feel that we're completely done with the mythology of the Joker because we are 100% absolutely not. But it's going to be something we delve into right away at the top of the season. So it, is that a confirmation that Jerome is the Joker? I It, it sort of sounds like it. Um I, I really don't know what direction they're going to go with this character. I, if they say that he is the Joker, then we're going to be looking at the um, uh, the notion that uh, Batman, uh, that Bruce Wayne will eventually grow up and become the Batman and deal with the Joker, who has been operating for, like, what, two decades by that point? And he's going to be mm-hmm. considerably older than, than Batman. <clears throat> I, I'm not sure if they want to set up that dynamic. But at the same time, to say that Joker was inspired by Jerome. That mm-hmm. That is also, it, it's kind of thin. Especially if they want to yeah. go the route oh, of J- Jerome becomes like a human virus that infects people. And the Joker is born from that. <laughs> what Jason and I call the stabby stabby virus. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And I, I would definitely go for more costumes on Gotham. I hated uh, that so much. Rather than, than a stabby stabby virus. <laughs> so a Jessica Jones star has been yeah. cast in Gotham. Lots of uh, Jessica Jones actors popping over to uh, 
popping over to DC stuff, it looks like now. So, um, Kieran uh, Mulcair, uh, he's going to be someone. We don't know who, but we've seen pictures now. He's uh, dressed in white. He's got white hair. Some people are saying Solomon Grundy. Doesn't look like Solomon Grundy to me, though. Um, yeah, it, and he and he doesn't he doesn't wear white. Um, yeah. Now, if if you can remind me, um, I can't remember who this actor played on Jessica Jones. Uh, you remember the uh, the creepy guy who was basically screwing his sister? Oh, the the the, the creepy brother guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That guy. And he's going to be on Gotham in a white suit with white hair. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I am I am stumped. And the hair I'm looks stumped. bad too. It looks like a bad wig. <laughs> it does not look good. Um, I don't know who this is supposed to be. I'm sorry, Gotham people. Yeah, I, um, it just doesn't. I, look I, have, good I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this picture yet, so I'm I'm not sure who it is that they're that they're trying to go for. I've seen the picture and I'm not sure who it is they're going for. Like, I don't I don't know <laughs> right. that cat. Um, David Mazus is saying that Bruce and Selena are going to be taking it to the next level. Bounce like a wow wow. Uh, the new <laughs> oh, season of Gotham. Yeah. It's a little weird to me. They're still a little too young for that. But then I watch Girl yeah. Meets World, and I'm like, yes, I like the fact that you're waiting, Riley. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't be girlfriend and boyfriend yet. You're not ready. Honestly, I think I'm already tired of the will-they-won't-they they aspect of Bruce and Selena's relationship. I don't like the fact that they were introduced so young and have become such a big part of each other's lives. Mm. Well, this is what David Mazus is saying. He says, uh, it's, it's great. I think that's exactly what Bruce needs right now. He's taking a step back from investigating at this point, and I think the thing is that he is growing up. The thing that showrunners Bruno and Danny always say is that Bruce is going to grow up as I grow up. I'm becoming a man, and so is Bruce. What comes with manhood? Confidence and romance. Those are things that he has to explore with Selena. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I, I will be much more okay with it if he you know, if he starts to fall into the playboy lifestyle and into the having a girlfriend in Selena um, uh, storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, they can they can do that throughout the middle of the season, but then by the end of the season, he has to you know collect himself again, um, take a step back, regroup, and say, okay, now that I have done all that intentionally, so I know what it's like. Now I can identify it in the future as I become a superhero. Oh yeah, this has to end in heartbreak. Yeah, if, for if Selena. it turns out that his yeah, if it turns out that his backsliding into um, you know partying mm-hmm. and getting involved with women was all pre-planned, premeditated as part of him training himself to become Batman. That see, th- this is a next time theory right here. That is what <laughs> will make that storyline work for me. If it turns out he, he planned the whole thing from the beginning. So he would know what it's like, get it out of his system, and then he won't have to worry about it in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, he's saying that Bruce needed Selena to guide him through some of the rougher aspects of Gotham. Uh, he says, a sheltered kid who lived in Wayne Manor and didn't really know anything beyond those walls, uh, but now he doesn't really need her for that anymore, but he's still hanging out with her. So the question is, why? He says, the answer is that they have this connection, and this connection will only grow bigger. That connection will lead Bruce to be determined to take things to the next level. That sounds that makes, sounds a little rapey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Cameron Bikendova, the girl who plays Selena Kyle, says, they're not preteens anymore, they're becoming young men and women. 
she she's definitely weirded out by uh, Bruce's new approach because he's starting to feel certain emotions that she's never felt before. We saw a little glimpse of it in season two when Silver St. Cloud was introduced. Uh, Selena was feeling a little jealous, but she didn't understand why. Now she's just overwhelmed by the different emotions that are happening. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I think it's fine for their age for them to be, like, maybe datey, 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 but... It's still weird to me that Selena and Bruce know each other at this young age. It's just weird. I, I have liked it in the past on the show. So much of Gotham for me is just trying to get past the weird shit they're doing with the characters. <laughs> yeah, which it, it's something that we knew was going to happen from the beginning. Um, when When it became obvious that Bruce Wayne was going to be a main character in the story... Mm-hmm. then we, we had to expect a bit of Smallville syndrome, what, mm-hmm. as I call it, which is if you're going to go back and tell the uh, the origin story of these characters and show their, their life before being a hero and their youth, mm-hmm. the only way to keep people invested in the show is to bring in elements from the source material that we recognize. Uh, to, mm-hmm. to use Smallville as an, as an example, we're following Clark Kent through high school um, and then through his, um, his post-high school years growing up becoming a man and heading towards becoming Superman. Mm-hmm. Yet, before he becomes Superman, he fights every major Superman villain that he ever fought in the comics. So by the time he becomes Superman at the end of the series, he has no villains left. <laughs> all he's got left are natural disasters because he's already defeated Brainiac he's already defeated Metallo, Lex Luthor Zod, mm. Doomsday Darkseid, these are all Superman villains and none of them fought Superman Yeah, they fought Clark Kent or the Blur so now now we've seen this journey and if anyone I'm, I'm reading the comics for um, Smallville season 11 right now and I find I myself to do thinking that. yeah but the the thing that I keep on uh, thinking and feeling while I'm reading them is, okay, yeah, you're Superman, but you've already had all your big battles, so what do you have left? From what Not I understand, I mean, the I'm, the big draw of Smallville Season 11 comics is Batman. <laughs> he, he is pretty cool, that I will say. I... <laughs> I, I consider that a, a definite missed opportunity. I think Smallville would have been even... It's it's not like it was a bad show. It wasn't great, but it certainly wasn't bad. It had a few rough seasons in the middle. But mm-hmm. I think that the entire 10-season run as a whole would have uh, been a lot stronger and turned out a lot more compelling if they had used Batman instead of Green Arrow. Um, I think they had... They were going to, and they, they got Bat uh, embargoed. But yeah. um, I was super pissed... Cause I, I liked that Green Arrow. Um, I was super pissed though that Adam Knight, the guy that uh, showed up and started living uh, in the apartment above uh, Lana's uh, bar uh, or whatever it was, yes, above the Talon, um, mm-hmm. and that would have been so good for future Court of Owl stuff. The Talon, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, Adam Knight, that kid, like, dude, he was like, oh, he's like dark and, and mysterious. I think it was, wasn't it, uh, what's his name? Ian Summerholder? Is that right? Um, God, it was on Lost. No, so, yeah, Summerhold. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was him. He had, he has those, like, I don't know. He's got, like, Batman esque facial features to me. But, uh, he was, like, mysterious and he'd been traveling the world, it seemed. And they could have, like, he they could have just easily made him a Bruce Wayne character. And they didn't. Yeah. Um, at the last minute, it was like, it was a clone from some sort of a 
Cadmus thing. And I was like, I don't give a shit about that. They were, I felt like they were building it up to be Batman. And, I th- and other fans were saying it too on the internet. They were like, oh my God, he's Batman. Adam Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T. Anyway. <laughs> they, they, could, they could have tried it. They could have tried it. But it was, it was still very obvious from the beginning when they introduced Green Arrow. Oh, billionaire playboy who is also a non-powered vigilante mm-hmm. on a on a superman show mm-hmm. they they desperately wanted it to be batman but dc said no so they went with the next best thing which was bringing in green arrow mm-hmm. i can understand why they did it i just wish that dc had loosened up a bit and allowed them to bring bruce wayne on and they could have said we promise he won't be batman he'll just be bruce wayne who's mm-hmm. really good at punching right <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I kind of just wish they had, uh, at the end of the day, I would, I would have been okay if they just made it the John Glover show. Like, (laughs) just, just, (laughs) let's just have Lionel. It was just Lionel. Anyway, I'm going to move on. It was so sad to see him go. Yes. Moving on. It was, it was, uh, on to Supergirl, uh, season one shows up on Netflix, September 10th. Um, now Andrew Kreisberg is talking a lot about Supergirl. We're just, I'm going to try to go through this rapid fire. If you have something to say, say it, Scott. Uh, but there's a lot of this. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just stepping out of the way. Go for it. Oh man. You don't have to step out of the way. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. Uh, we're so excited by everything we're doing that we can't wait for everybody to see it. We feel like the CW is going to be the beneficiary of everything that we've learned because we really feel like we've taken the show to the next level creatively. Well, I'm going to hold you to do that, Andrew. Um, on the musical episode, he says, The musical will be awesome. It's going to be fun. It's funny. We have villains that can split the earth in half. We have villains that can run at the speed of light. What's so crazy about a villain that can make you think your friends are singing and dancing in front of you? When you put it like that. Um, <laughs> and it also makes me think they're going to do the music meister. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm expecting as well. That's uh, exciting. I, that's exciting, and I really hope they do. Neil Patrick Harris, I, I've said it before on this show. Um, so, uh, on Hecklin's Superman, he says, um, that they, they've been fans of Tyler Hecklin for years. Um, they were, he was their first choice. He says, when we sat down with him, he is Superman, not just with the looks, but he's such a good guy. You just feel better when you're around him, which I think is part of the secret of Superman. He is that ideal, he, but not in an unattainable way. Superman should make you feel like you can do anything, even though he's the one that can, he's the one that can do anything. And Tyler just has all of that in spades. He's also referenced their Superman as being more of the aw shucks, uh, old school Superman than the Henry Cavill. The big blue. Oh, how did Cal. you put it? The, the well, no, he well, he's the big, <laughs> Cavill's not the big blue boy scout yet. Oh yeah, Ca- yeah, Cavill is super sad man. Super sad man. That's how you put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I get I get the feeling that that Tyler's portrayal of Superman in Smallville is going to be that um that adapted big blue boy scout that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, they've said not the stereotypical, not the stereotypical hand, you know, fists on his hips, smiling. Hello, citizens. Right. It's not going to be that, but it's going to be a more modernized and acceptable version mm-hmm. of that. This is going to be a Superman that makes us happy when we see him on screen, as opposed to what we get in the movies. <laughs> I'm pretty happy seeing him on screen in the movies, man. <laughs> I'm like, yay, Superman's here. Um, <laughs> and is Supergirl not Smallville? Wishful thinking. Um, did I, did I say small? You said smallville. Yeah. Um, 
Um, yeah, so, okay, uh, on to Miss Martian. They said part of the reason we're bringing on Miss Martian is to get... By, I say they, this is Andrew Kreisberg. All Andrew Kreisberg. Uh, one of the reason, part of the reason we're bringing on Miss Martian is to give John his own story this year and his own emotional ride. Meeting her and having this tie to his home world that he thought he would never have again. Uh, as he has to keep reminding people he's been here for 300 years and isolated for most of it last year with his relationship with Alex and his relationship with Kara, he started to come out of his shell a little bit and wasn't quite so afraid to show who he really was. So in getting to interact with Megan, I guess we're going to say something, say it weird like that. He's going to mm-hmm. have a whole new person with which to share his Martian experience. Now, traditionally, which I mean, traditionally, uh, young justice, he presented the character as his niece. Uh, David Harewood seems to be implying a romantic interest. He like put up a video of himself on like Instagram with this like bouncing a wout music going, and he's like, "What's up, girl?" If that's the direction they want to take it, then no. yeah, I guess I guess we can't stop him. But uh, I I don't know. It, it feels a little the, weird. The doesn't character it? of Miss Martian, yeah, the character of Miss Martian has been uh, presented in I think every iteration as either an actual family relation or. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, ad- adopting a family relation to uh, Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. That if they try to make it something different, it's going to be hard to accept at first. But if they if if they write it properly and they play it off right, then then they might be able to swing it. See, I always um, found it hard to. I always kind of dislike the character or the idea of the character. I haven't seen all of Young Justice. I've seen one episode, exactly one. Um, but and she oh just wasn't even God. in it. I know. I got to get to it, but. Uh, it's I've very good. never been able to really accept the idea that she was his niece just because I'm like, what are the chances? What are the chances that, <laughs> <laughs> that like, his kinfolk show up, you know, I don't know. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I will say that in the Smallville season 11 comics, uh-huh. I've, I've just gotten to the point where they introduced, um, uh, McGann Morse. Okay. So we we now have we now have Miss Martian in the Smallville universe as well, according to the comics. I love Philip Morris in Again, that in the role of John his, Jones as his quote niece. Mm-hmm. I love Philip Morris in that role as Martian Manhunter. That was great casting. Anyway, oh, he's fantastic. <laughs> I was like, we need more of you. Oh, so Christberg talking about uh, Kara's career. He says last year, as far as the DEO was concerned, she wasn't away, just another agent there. This year, she's going to be taking a little bit more of a leadership role and be driving the stories more. She's also not going to be Kat's assistant anymore. We resolved that at the end of season one. What she decides to do at Catco is going to be a big change and an exciting change. Uh, she's usually flexing muscles to beat the crap out of aliens and now she's going to be flexing career muscles as a young career woman with a little bit of authority and autonomy i think that's going to be a lot more exciting for her as a character than just being a harried executive assistant Mm -hmm. um it also looks like i'm going to try to pop through some of this a little more like we said ian gomez is going to be largely taking over uh the cat grant spot as a car's mentor They've got Cat in the first two episodes so far, and um, mm-hmm. they thought that they were just going to lose her, and they were going to all part as friends. But Calista Flockhart loves the show enough to show up occasionally. Um, still don't know how much that's going to be going on. Um, on the Kara and James 
relationship. He says part of whether or not that relationship can work makes up the first couple of episodes of the season. They definitely had a nice kiss at the end of last year, and when we picked up, they're uh, when we pick up, they're both going to be separately and together dealing with whether they can make this relationship work. I really, I and we talked about this last week, but uh, you know, it's totally just obvious they're going to keep going back on the back and forth on the will they want they thing with them. So yeah, now a kiss doesn't mean a relationship necessarily. You can't ever have a workable relationship on a CW show. It always has to be at risk. See, the unfortunate thing is that you know most people say that with the CW, it's everything. It's every show. It's every TV show. Yeah, yeah, true, true enough. Pretty much. I mean, like you get Jim and Pam together in the office, and the and the ratings decline. You have to keep that shit going. <laughs> <laughs> And it's what killed Moonlighting, and I yeah. still don't understand what's so compelling about putting two characters on the screen who obviously are head over heels in love, but they refuse to admit it to each other, and then once they do, they can't stay together. Mm-hmm. I don't. I I've never been compelled by that particular storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, the storyline that shows up in every character-based drama, but it still keeps on happening. So they they must be doing something right, and I'm just missing it. That yeah. has to be the answer. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to throw in plenty of save the cats, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so on uh, Christopher Wood and his character Monel. Kreisberg says, we don't want to say too much about uh, because we're doing our own version of Monel. Obviously, he's a character from the books. He's much beloved. Is he? Um, and we're putting, <laughs> we're putting our own spin on it. What's interesting about Monel joining the show from Kara's, uh, sorry, Kara's perspective uh, is that Kara has spent her entire life as someone who's been uh, mentored first by her mother, then by the Danvers and Superman and Cat. She's always been somebody who's been taken care of in a way. Now with Monel, she's fre- he's fresh off the boat. As far as he's concerned, living on another planet happened yesterday, and suddenly he's on Earth, and everything he knew was lost, just the way it was for Kara. But she's had twelve years to process it, and she's struggling with it. So Kara is now the one in the mentor position. Ironically, she even says in an episode, "I was sent to Earth not to be a hero. I was sent here to be Supergirl. I was sent here. Uh, I wasn't sent here to be Supergirl. I was sent here to protect Clark and take care of Clark." Now, in an odd way, with Monel here i'm getting to fulfill that original mission that i had so that could be pretty interesting yeah i that is in just that one line that's uh an aspect that i i had thought of i hadn't looked at it from that perspective but Mm -hmm. but that makes a lot of sense i like that Uh, on the uh, relationship between Kara and alex uh christberg said that's a lot of what's happening in the first episodes Kara is caught a little bit in the middle between clark who's her family and alex john win and james which is this amazing family that she's made for herself. Um, that's that's pretty interesting. He says there's definitely a conflict that arises that puts Kara squarely in the middle. Um, that's good. That's as much reason. That's more reason than I've already heard that I've heard so far for Superman being on the show. Um, as long as we're still making it about Supergirl, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we we talked about this on the on this show before, but it looks like Win is going to be joining the DEO. Um, he says that's going to allow him to be who he really is, which is the smart, creative one and the thinker. It's also, if, if they want to, if they want to start getting really creative, it will offer more opportunities for him to, uh, he's going to have access to more technology, more Mm -hmm. toys. Mm -hmm. And all we need is, is, is the right dramatic, the the white, the right dramatic push. Mm -hmm. And we might be seeing the birth of, of a new toy man, which 
I think that would be super compelling if they wanted to um, do that sort of a uh, a heel face turn with uh, with that character. Yeah, I I do too. Like, I think they should just make him, you know, the uh, I don't know, grown white version of the Japanese kid from the Jeff Loeb run. <laughs> oh yeah, Superman uh, Batman. He- hero. Uh, yeah, hero. Hero. Um, they sh- yeah, they just like yeah, he should just he should have government, you know funds and just be making giant robots and all sorts of fun things um that would be absolutely interesting Mm -hmm. uh they're gonna be jumping deeper into project cadmus uh cadmus apparently rears its head pretty thoroughly in the opening episode uh fighting cadmus makes up a large part of the first half of the season yeah it's got to be one of the main one of the main plot points um after dropping it so heavily in season one Mm -hmm. uh with them uh, quite possibly still holding Jeremiah Danvers. They're, mm-hmm. They have to tie that one up sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, do you feel like you've found the right balance between the overarching stories you want to tell and the villains of the week? Kreisberg says, yeah, we're so proud of Supergirl last season, but it reminded us a little bit of season one of Arrow. We knew there was a great show in there, and every once in a while we would make it great, but we didn't know how to do it consistently yet. I'm glad that Kreisberg admits stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. We really feel like this year, at least for us creatively, we've cracked the code and we're coming out of the gate strong. It's almost the same trajectory that we had on Arrow, where we start to figure it out towards the back half of Season 1. We're going, we're coming out of the gate really strong with Season 2. Season 1s are tough. There was also the added pressure of having the first female superhero on TV in a long time. There was a lot of expectation that the audience had, that the network had, that the studio had, and that we had for ourselves. It took a while to put all of that aside and just start telling the right stories. It's always been my experience that shows tell you what they want to be. Now with the stories that they're, now with the stories, stories that they're telling, Supergirl is finally becoming what it should be. Um, I look forward to seeing this second season of, of Supergirl. I hope it gets really, really good. It was very uneven in the first season, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it it, it had a lot of ups and downs, and I like the fact that they recognize that, and it seems clear from what they're saying that their aim is to uh, right the ship mm-hmm. in season two um, as quickly as possible. But what I notice is conspicuously absent from all these questions and answers in this interview is any mention of how they're going to integrate with the CW Arrowverse. Uh-huh, I know. Still I... a big mystery. I think they're going to keep it separate, man. I really do. I think they're going to keep it as a separate multiverse situation. And I think that's probably that would probably be the best thing, at least for a while. Maybe so. Maybe so. I, the, the the more I think about it, yeah. If they keep it as a a separate um, a separate Earth, a separate universe that they can uh, visit, mm-hmm. they've already shown that they can cross over. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not easily, but it can be done. So they can they can use some type of crossover to connect um, Supergirl with the others for their four-part crossover for the musical crossover, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily have to fully integrate it into the CW universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're going to, and I think they should, um, they might just decide to wait until the end of the season. Yeah. And you know, and I think the problem with integration is you, if you do it by going back in time, that's still not the same version of Kara that he met before. And now we're in a parallel reality 
Or, you know, now it made it to where season one and season one, two, and three and four of this show didn't happen. Season one, two, one and two of the show didn't technically happen the same way. And how did we get to this point? Because Kara should have just been able to help them. Blah, 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 blah. Um, you start getting running into those problems. So, but now that they've crossed over to an alternate Earth, and the Flash is doing this regularly now with different, well, like, Harry and Jesse went home at the end of last season of the flash, like they were just getting in their car and leaving. Like they were just walking across the, you know, the park to their apartment complex. Like that's how easily they were just switching earths. Um, yeah. If, if they make crossing over from, um, from national city to earth one as easy as they can uh, cross over from earth one to earth two, then that might be good enough. Mm -hmm. If they're, if they're not, on the same earth, but they're, you know, just, you know, a phone call away, so to speak, mm-hmm. then that, that, that might still be workable. That might be close enough to, uh, might be close enough to make it all gel. Mm-hmm. And you know what, this way TV works anyway, storytelling in general, once they do it the first time, they can figure it out. It's just like, uh, you know, mirror, mirror in Star Trek. Like it was a freak accident that they had to recreate and they only had a, a very small window to get back to their universe. Cause that builds tension. And then, you know, DS9, mm-hmm. they have personal transporters that just bring them over to the other universe. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it started happening so frequently and so easily that, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'll go ahead and throw her under the bus. My, my wife started to really dislike the Mirror Universe episodes because they just kept on happening and they right. felt forced. <laughs> I didn't feel like they were forced. I enjoyed the hell out of them though. I, I did. I, what I didn't enjoy was that the continuity was off in them. Like, you know, the Klingons don't have cloaking technology in the next episode. They cloak, they've always had cloaking. Why? What are you talking about? Yeah. What? Right. Anyway, uh, over to the flash. Did you see the season three time strikes back promo? The, that promo I have not seen. Okay. I don't know exactly what's happening in here, but it looks like there's some sort of a cult. Um, there are people in robes kneeling. It looks like to me. Um, not a whole lot of new stuff in this one. Um, just, you know, showing how Barry screwed up the timeline a little bit. Um, we do have a fun little piece of Cisco saying, you know, a universe where I'm not rich is glitched. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Todd Lassen, Lassen, uh, has been, I guess, officially cast as the rival. Um, a few months ago or last month, they showed this picture of, someone in or they didn't they it was leaked and we didn't talk about it but um he was you could very obviously see this kid in a uh in a similar flash costume and they've now said that it's going to be the rival which is the um golden age reverse flash uh edward claris which is a weird choice <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a little weird um but i'm down man I'm down. Yeah. Well, as with as with Arrow, season three um, was their season of weird, where things started to go a little bit off center. So <laughs> we might just have to expect the same thing here. You know, I, as so far, like you know, Arrow disappointed me off and on all through seasons one and two. Um, seasons two really disappointed me a lot. It kind of really got ridiculous for me. Not not you know ridiculous in a this would never happen way. Just this is terrible storytelling way. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, looking back on it, I don't like when characters aren't the characters. 
Um, I've always hated episodes where they they don't they don't look the same or something like when I used to watch Beetlejuice, the cartoon Beetlejuice. I hated episodes where he was like dressed as a cowboy or something because I was like, no, that's not what yeah, you wear. That, that's not Beetlejuice. We 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 want the stripes. We want the black and the white and the and give me what I fell in love with in the first place. Don't go mm-hmm. changing it with funny costumes. Mm-hmm. And we would you know in season two of Arrow we had you know Roy who was with the Mirakuru and now the whole thing. Um, and we kind of, it seemed like we kind of fell into that a lot, but anyway, see, uh, if they keep, see, they didn't do that for me on, in season two of the flash. We hit, they hit, they, they're just good. They're just really good. I, I've enjoyed the shit out of the show and I hope that they mm-hmm. keep that up. Uh, popping over, yep. moving forward. <clears throat> do you have anything? Sorry. Um, no, o- only the fact that they, they're clearly taking lessons that they learned during the production of the first two, three seasons of Arrow, mm-hmm. and they're applying those lessons to The Flash, which is why mm-hmm. I think the first two seasons of The Flash have consistently been so much better than um, what Arrow has been giving us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Helbig talks briefly, uh, he talk, does talk about how uh, the interesting dynamic with Dr. Alchemy and... Uh, Gosh, what's the other person's name? I'm gone. I'm gone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Are you talking about um, Savitar. Alchemy and Savitar. the Rider? No, uh, oh, Alchemy okay. and Savitar. Sorry. That, Gosh, I right. was like, no, I know there's another speedster. What, 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 what. Um, <laughs> he says, we're trying to have the powers that they both possess play off of each other. And Flash is like, oh, I have to catch this guy and take him down. Crap, now there's this other guy, Dr. Alchemy, who has these transmutation qualities uh, via the Philosopher's Stone. You have to learn uh, what he does with this stuff and how the both of them are coexisting. Um, He likens it to flanking. That's pretty interesting, Mm -hmm. I guess. He he also says that um, in Season 2, they got a little too dark. The last five or six episodes were pretty dark. Zoom, in general, was dark. It got even darker than we probably anticipated, so we're making a conscious effort to go back more toward the tone of Season 1. I'm good with the tone of season two as well, though, man. Um, mm-hmm. But whatever. He's not listening. <laughs> On to they, Arrow. They, they just have to make sure they they don't go as as dark as Arrow got. That that's all I have to that's all I have to yeah. be careful of. Yeah. Uh, did you see the promo for Legacy Five Hundred One of Arrow? Um, yes. Yes. Um, not a lot new here. Felicity saying like, "Oh, you've just been wondering when this is gonna, everything's gonna get back to normal, but it's not gonna get back to normal." And there's a shot of the Black Canary statue, and uh, you know, looks like someone's trying to uh, kidnap the mayor, which is Ollie, and Thea doesn't seem very worried about it. She says Ollie can take care of himself. Um, we we have a quick shot of uh, the Tobias Church character. Mm-hmm. We don't there's not really much other than that. Would you wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, not not a whole lot to it. Just just more uh, wetting our appetite for for what's to come. Yeah. All right, I'm going to try to do rapid fire through this Phil Klemmer interview here uh, for Legends of Tomorrow. On uh, Mick Rory, he says we never want to rehabilitate him fully, and we never want to take him. Uh, we never want to take away his edge. He's been widowed effectively, uh, having lost his partner. Uh, I don't know if Mick knows where he belongs. It's not like he can go back to Central City in 2016, but he doesn't belong on the ship either. So there's a simmering resentment. Uh, so basically, he's deciding that he's just going to stay there and and punish them. <laughs> um, on Nick Haywood, he. Hmm? I'll, I'll say here, but it doesn't mean I like you guys. Yeah. Um, 
on Nick Haywood. He says, Nick Haywood is the first non-superhero on the show. The fact that we inherited all these characters from other shows were great. Uh, but we didn't really have an, we didn't really have an origin story to tell. Um, we want to meet a guy that nobody knows. He doesn't even know that he is destined to become a superhero because that gives you the first act of the Spider-Man movie. Tobey Maguire was like, oh my God, I can do this, but I'm not great at doing it. Uh, and oh, I'm using it for selfish purposes, but should I use it for good? So that's the kind of character they're bringing in with Nick Haywood in uh, Citizen Steel. Um, and uh, with Amaya, or... Uh, the uh, the new slash old vixen. We wanted somebody who came from a different generation. We wanted people who force our legends to look at themselves in a different light. She's from the 40s. She's from the golden age of the JSA. She's the greatest generation. She is of the JSA that stopped Hitler. It's like having a grandfather who got off a landing vehicle at Normandy, and I'm trying to complain to him about my latte is too cold, and he's like, oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Um... They asked uh, with JS. This is a <clears throat> sorry, uh, KSiteTV.com. Uh, they did part one of an interview a couple weeks ago. Uh, they said with JSA, are we going to see more? We're going to be seeing them in the 40s, or is there a team that exists now? And uh, Phil says that is going to be part of our season-long mystery that will have a strong connection. Sorry, a strong intersection with the Legion of Doom. We didn't just bring them in because we thought it would be cool. They are tied up deeply into the DNA of our season-long mystery and our struggle with the Legion of Doom. Uh, they said, what's the over-under on us seeing a floating Darth Vader helmet for the Legion of Doom? And <laughs> Phil Klemmer says that's very slim. <laughs> and and that, that is sad. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to see it. Oh, well, so do I. Yeah, um... What can you say about uh, to sell the new season to someone who might have dropped off during season one and might need convincing? He says, episode 201 is effectively a new pilot. That's really the joy of the show. It was never designed to be the traditional network television model, which is the running in place sleight of hand trick. Uh, I'm, wow. <laughs> I've rarely heard someone actually admit that running in place sleight of hand trick is how TV works. I've always known mm -hmm. it, but I've never heard someone actually admit it. A showrunner, no yeah. less. Uh, when we blew up I, the vanishing I, point. Hmm? I like that they are saying, yeah, we did a season of that show, and now we're going to do a different show. It's the same people and a lot of the same concepts, but make mm -hmm. no mistake, this is a new show. Yeah. He says, when we blew up the vanishing point, we blew up the conceit of season one. I'll just say, as writers, it's such a joy writing the second season because it feels so fresh and new. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Does Rip Hunter know his purpose? Uh, now that everything involving the Time Masters and Vanishing Point are over. Uh, the thing about Rip is that we gave him a really, really heavy backstory. We killed his family. We put him in charge of saving the world. Uh, we then had the institution that had sworn his he had sworn his allegiance to to uh, prove corrupt. Uh, Arthur Darville is a really, really fun guy. We just want to unburden him so we can access other aspects of himself as a performer. But what do you do after you, you've saved the world? It's a really interesting question, and we want to see that version of Rip. Um, he also talks about like how Captain Rip Hunter has always had a little asterisk beside it, and in Season 2, the, the asterisk gets a lot bigger. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it looks like Rip may not be the, the, the captain for long. It's going to be uh, much more democratic in terms of the leadership. He says, they've saved the friggin' world, they never listened to Rip in the first place, but now they're like, you know what, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping they go in that direction, because uh, the constant 
um, Rip giving orders that end up being not really the best w- was getting tiresome by the end of the season. So I'm I'm hoping that it becomes more more of a team rather than a uh, a dictatorship. I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. Uh, now jumping over to like there has been rumors there uh, about Young Justice season three and they're having Netflix meetings. Uh, Peter David has basically just cut through all the bullshit, and this is what he had to say. I had lunch with Greg Wiseman a few weeks ago, and he said that Netflix is seriously considering ordering a third season because they're impressed with how much people are watching it. So if you want to make it happen, Except keep for on you, doing Dave. it. Dave. I know, I know. Uh, so, yeah, keep watching Young Justice, and that, I mean, that's the best thing you can do. It's mm-hmm. not It's not said yes. Uh, did you watch the Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders trailer, the new one? Uh, yes, I did. That shit was awesome. I am. (laughs) It it, it was. Um, I, I agree with it. Now, I think, was it you guys? Was it you and Jason that talked about, um, Adam West, um, not sounding quite like he did, like he was was doing his best Adam West doing Batman? Oh, I don't think I said that. Maybe Jason said that. I don't remember. But, um, my statement is just that it uh, was that, uh, it's clear. It's clear that he's a lot older than he was. Like he's, he's yeah. He sounds rough. I'll I'll yeah. take it. And which, I love Adam West, which, but which is is to be ex- yeah. It, it's to be expected. Um, mm-hmm. So, but we're we're still going to roll with it because this is a, a return to to that era. Which for people like us, this is going to be this is going to be an exceptionally uh, entertaining film to watch. Mm-hmm. And I like where they couldn't get people who sounded like the originals, which I think this is a huge missed opportunity. Um, and maybe they have done it and they're just keeping it under wraps. They should totally have Mark Campbell doing the Joker here, but not his Joker. Um, I saw him on David Letterman a few years ago, and he does a phenomenal Cesar Romero. Like, pitch perfect. And it's not until I heard him do that that I realized how close his Joker is to the Cesar Romero Joker. Yeah. Um, it's just dark, a darker shade of that Joker. Um, so I absolutely think they should have had him playing the Joker, but what they've kind of done, it sounds like they, I've only heard the laugh of the Joker and the penguin making a terrible pun, but it sounds like filmation. It it, it does a bit. Yeah. And, uh, they've clearly also done the, um, they've gone to more of the comic book commissioner Gordon with the white mustache and everything. He kind of mm-hmm. sounds like Neil Hamilton, but I'm guessing they that his his family didn't uh, go along with those rights. Uh, they they didn't want his likeness yeah. there. Mm-hmm. I, I would assume so. Um, they, they'll get as close as they can. I, I, I'm certain. I'm I'm just yeah. excited for it. Yeah, uh, I saw someone pointed out that like some of the frames were like per- it looks like they were purposely backwards to like crack at the filmation, you know, to have like the Robin symbol backwards as they're running <laughs> right mm-hmm. um and that, that yeah that's in there i can't imagine them doing that accidentally at this point um <laughs> yeah that, that's not sort of the sort of mistake they'd make um yeah but oh my gosh i i'm so excited and here's the official we haven't talked about this here's the official synopsis for the sh- for the movie uh it's back to the 60s as batman and robin spring into action when gotham city is threatened by a quartet of batman's most fiendish foes penguin the joker riddler and catwoman this time the four supervillains will have combined their wicked talents to hatch a plot so nefarious that the dynamic duo will need to go to outer space and back to foil their arch enemies and restore order to gotham city it's a truly fantastic adventure that will pit good against evil good against good Evil against evil, and feature two words that exponentially raise the stakes for both sides. 
replicator ray. Mm-hmm. Holy multiplication tables. <laughs> <laughs> I saw someone uh, posit that they were going to do the multiple versions of Catwoman um, because of the replicator ray. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe even the multiple versions of the Riddler. You have the what was it? The John Aston version of the of the Riddler, as well as the. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. uh, yes, let's do that. <laughs> and I'm hearing through the grapevine they haven't announced it officially, but that they have already recorded a sequel, as far as I know. Oh wow! Yeah, so they're planning ahead. <laughs> yeah, like we got to get this shit done. <laughs> These cats aren't getting any younger. Um, That's where they're going to bring in um, Egghead, King Tut, and um, the the 60s version of Mr. Freeze. Mm, I would be egg-static. Oh, boo, boo. Show's <laughs> over. <laughs> All right. So, Batman the Telltale series on the video game front is getting rave reviews. I haven't had a chance to play it. I don't have anything to play it on, even. Um <laughs> If we have listeners out there who have played it and want to tell us how it is, because we need to, this has to be reviewed on the show, right? If you guys want to help yeah. us out, send in a recording of yourself giving a review. Use a mic or your phone recorder, whatever. Send it to us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash DC on screen or DC on screen at gmail.com. Man, we'll put it in the show. That sounds good. That won't be me. I haven't played it yet. <laughs> yeah. I'm asking you like you're Jason. That sound good, buddy? Huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, onto our contest, we, we, we're running a contest, um, and for every 10 five-star reviews, written reviews that we get on iTunes, uh, we're going to have a drawing and the person who, who wins the drawing, uh, one person out of 10 gets, uh, a trade paperback of their choosing or a Blu-ray or DVD of their choosing for $15 or under. Um, we had one review this week. A uh, five-star review from Jacob Raspberry of the Screen Explosion podcast is a buddy of ours. And since I, you know, short-sightedly didn't say that uh, friends are excluded from this, uh, I guess uh, you wormed your way in, Jake. So, uh, <laughs> Jacob Raspberry says, better than Blue Beetle and Booster Gold combined. These guys are awesome. Serving up the best uh, DCU news every week. Thank you very much, Jacob. Uh, their show is awesome. Screen Explosion. Need to go check that out. They, they do movie and television news. Um, and they are fun. And I like them. So you should listen to them. Um, we are two people away from our drawing. So guys, go give us those five-star written reviews if you want to be included. Um, I think that's that wraps it up, man. Um, plug your shit, Scott. Yeah, I, I've got nothing else. <laughs> What's that? Oh, um, yeah, everyone, go check out uh, the next time, uh, next time the Comic Book Television Prediction Podcast. Uh, you can find it on SoundCloud. Um, you can find it at planetrisecreative.com slash podcasts. Uh, check me out on Facebook and Twitter, Next Time Pod, um, or just send an email to um, next time at planetrisecreative.com. All right, and thank you, man, so much for, for being a part of the show and. You did a great job. You contributed really good stuff to this episode. And uh, we're sorry that Jason couldn't be here with us um, because we love having Scott on anyway, whether Jason's here or not. But, dude, thank you so much for coming in. I'll give Jason a chance to be on on his own bonus episode of next time uh, so it can be even with you and you guys don't have to compete for my attentions. But uh, I I appreciate the (laughs) chance to come on. It was was a bunch of fun. Um, I like being able to, to contribute and... I like listening to you guys so much. It's a, a treat to be able to uh, to join in. Man, we, we love having you, man. And I listen to your show 
I think it's a fine show. You guys should go check that out, man. And uh, as for us, you can find every episode of DC On Screen on iTunes and Stitcher and DCOnScreen.com. Actually, I don't think you can find every episode on those things anymore. We've gone too far. We've, we've, we have too many episodes. You can find every episode at DCOnScreen.com. And I also post a link to all the different podcasts that I, I guest on, including Scott's Next Time podcast on DCOnScreen.com. Uh, we are probably going to be uh, putting up a merch store in the next week or two. Um, we've had a bunch of requests for that, so be on the lookout for that. We're a proud member of the Giant Size Team Up Network, giantsizeteamup.com. Uh, that's it. That's all I've got. Until t- until next week, uh, keep some DC on your screen. I, I got nothing. I got nothing else. <laughs> Bye. It is not for me to know. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Look around you. That car you're driving. That house your family lives in. Making your daughter laugh. Inspiring her to dream. You did that. Teaching your son to drive. Teaching him he can be anything. All you. And your dreams for tomorrow. You'll do that too. Legacies don't just happen. They are made by you. The important word being you. American Family Insurance, protecting your dreams as you achieve them. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Products not available in every state. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies. American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.